Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I am joined, as always, with Carl Truman and Amy Bird. And today, we thought we would just grab with all of our might the third rail of discussion among uh, contemporary evangelicals, and that is the whole issue of of race, racial reconciliation, how are things going, and and we brought on as a special guest, Daryl Harrison, who is someone I got acquainted with through seeing articles that he'd written for a blog being posted on social media, and as I began to read his articles, I thought, man, this guy has got to get into a lot of trouble (laughs) because Mr. Harrison was frequently departing from kind of, shall we call it, the received narrative on some racial issues. And so I just began a little bit of a correspondence here and there. Amy Bird got acquainted with his material. We passed it along to Carl and we said, we've got to get this guy on to talk about these issues. So our guest is Daryl Harrison. Let me give you just a brief. He's he's got a really fascinating resume. So here's a man who has studied everywhere from from Liberty University to Princeton Theological Seminary. So he comes with a unique set of lenses, unique training from from a very broad educational resources. And and I think I think he's from Georgia, which is a wonderful place to be from. We love Georgia. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite people live in Georgia. Mm-hmm. But Daryl Harrison, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Todd. It's an honor. Amy, Carl, mm-hmm. how you guys doing? We are doing, doing well. well thanks. Great to be here with you on the mortification of spin. I got to just say real quick, yeah. that that is the dopest name <laughs> for a, a ministry. That I'm sure Owen would be proud of that, the way you guys are just kind of Is dopest a good like thing? That. Dopest, dopest is a very good thing, thing Carl. Okay, yeah. It's a very good thing, yeah. Carl. Yeah. We always have to give Carl pop culture <laughs> lessons. Yeah, I was thinking dopest <laughs> sounds like dopey. Is it? No, 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 it's good. Okay. It's good. Uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, well, you, thanks very much for that, Daryl. Daryl, you have to understand, Carl is an immigrant from an island in the Atlantic Ocean, and so he doesn't get all of this stuff. I'm what we call the doc- I'm a documented worker. He's a documented <laughs> worker. So, Daryl, tell everybody the name of your blog as well. Yeah, so thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. Again, being with y'all on the mortification of spin today. My blog is Just Thinking, that's one word, justthinking.me. That's Mm justthinking.me. So that's how folks can find my blog and check out uh, some of the stuff I've written. Yeah, and I would encourage you all to do that. Like I said, my first exposure to Daryl was just by reading some articles that some friends of mine were posting. And and I was just struck by two things. First of all, they were really thoughtful, engaging articles. And my second thought was, man, this poor guy has got to get all kinds of grief. And uh, so, Daryl, I mean, obviously you have addressed and commented on the current discussion concerning race and racial reconciliation that is going on in a lot of conservative evangelicalism. It's going on big time in, in the denomination to which I belong, the PCA. Let me ask you, as you look out at what's going on, the whole landscape of the discussion about race among Christians and racial reconciliation. What are you seeing that could be a cause for encouragement? And what are you seeing that's concerning you? 
Yeah, so let me answer that question this way. Uh, first of all, I want to give you guys props. I have listened repeatedly to the podcast that you guys did back in June of this year. I think you titled it Hijacking Social Justice. Mm. And I've probably listened to that podcast probably 20 times. Mm. And I have to answer your question by going back to that, because okay. what I appreciated about the uh, discussion that you all had was that you address the issue of context as it relates this, to this issue of social justice. Matter of fact, Todd, uh, I wrote down one of your quotes where you said social justice is a cliche. I can't get anyone to actually define it for me. Right. So when you look at that as a fundamental issue, context is a fundamental issue. So I think your listeners need to understand right off the bat from me that I personally do not subscribe to the idea of race or right. racism. Right. Biologically speaking, there is no such thing as race. Right. But for the sake of the conversation that we're having here today, I will use those terms. Yeah. But to answer your question, I think the landscape is getting worse. Mm-hmm. And it's because primarily that we're using sociological, anthropological terms to address what is fundamentally a theological issue. Mm-hmm. So when you look at terms like racial reconciliation, I consider that term to be non sequitur Mm. because, number one, when you talk about it, even if it's undefined, racial reconciliation bids you to focus on an external attribute of the individual. Right. Mm. So you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what what influence does a person's skin color have on motivating them to treat someone the right way. Mm-hmm. That's essentially the question you're asking when you use the term racial reconciliation. And uh, I make the point in a blog article that I wrote that racists don't reconcile, hearts reconcile. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you transfer the conversation from one that immediately gets you to focus on the visual, mm-hmm. a visual identifier to a conversation that really centers around a heart attitude if you want to make progress on that. So part of the problem in the conversation that's going on is that it's got the wrong right. starting place. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, the church especially needs to start using biblical language around mm-hmm. these issues so that they begin to be understood within the biblical framework rather than a sociological and anthropological framework. Terms like racist, racism, they kind of shift the focus from the spiritual to the secular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason, that's a primary reason why I feel not so hopeful about where the current level of discourse is around this whole matter of social justice. We need to capture, the church needs to capture those terms back. Yeah. How would you respond then, Daryl, to somebody who said, well, I, you know, I agree with everything you've said, and race is a social construct, et cetera, et cetera. But these are the terms in which society has profoundly shaped itself and how it understands itself, particularly in the United States where you have the history of slavery, of course. Uh, How would you respond to that and say, yeah, I sort of agree that this is what the church should do, but we have to start where we are. And race is a huge, real, albeit constructed, but a huge, real political category in this country. Well, Carl, I would have to, I mean, I hate to simplify this, and I hope I'm not sounding too simplistic, but I would have to say, hey, well, let's look at what Christ did. How did Christ handle the the milieu that existed when he was on the earth? You know, these same issues were not foreign to Christ mm-hmm. during his ministry either. Right. And I don't recall in the Gospels where Christ adjusted his message 
his vernacular, his mission to conform to society's vernacular or terms or uh, paradigm. Yeah. So I don't see where we need to do that either. I mean, I, again, I don't mean to sound simplistic, but we have to speak the gospel in terms of the gospel. Yeah. I think actually what you say there, far from being too simplistic, is again, these things that we're struggling with are not new. I remember preaching through the book of Acts last year and how many times I had the opportunity to talk about hatred between different groups, hatred between different ethnicities and that kind of thing, just from the book of Acts, because that was such Mm -hmm. a reality in that day. And yet, what do you look at? What do you see when you examine the ministry priorities of the apostles Mm -hmm. and in the church? It's the same thing. It's the the proclamation and application of the gospel over and over again to these things. Right. And I think what people have to understand today is, especially within the church, is and I think there's a certain degree of naivete even within the church as it relates to the gospel as a mandate within the framework of social justice, is that the gospel is an inside out remedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> OK, it's an inside out remedy. And I think within the church, especially as local churches sort of align themselves with this sort of missiological mandate as it relates to social justice, society inverts that. Okay, so society inverts a just culture as being evidenced by how the outside looks. Mm -hmm. Okay, how many fewer people are uh, classified as uh, living in poverty? What does the unemployment rate look like? Can I afford childcare and things like that? So, but for the church, We have to understand that the gospel has, since day one, been an inside-out message, and that is not going to change. And we need to be able to accept that because it is an inside-out message, meaning it affects the heart first, and then evidence of that is experienced externally within society, we need to accept that not all people are going to embrace that message. And if they don't embrace it, don't expect the person to change. Right. Don't expect that. Right. And this is part of my concern. And I was talking to Carl and Amy about it before in my own denomination, the PCA, which in part was founded with a great concern to recover the centrality of the gospel in the life and ministry of the church. One of the things that's disturbing is now we're seeing we're seeing some of that start to take some direct hits because of kind of an expanding vision of what the church ought to be doing. And we're now seeing some evidence that it's wearing away at some of this commitment to the centrality of of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we're not suggesting that the gospel does not address what we would call racism. I mean, my thing, call racism what it is. It's it's hate for another person. And the gospel absolutely does address that. The gospel does address that. Right. You know, I'm adamant, you know, myself personally, the Bible does not talk about social justice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It talks about godly justice. Mm. Again, this is one of those terms that the church must recapture, because as you all talked about in your podcast back in June, the term social justice is so vague. You know, it's really become I like to describe social justice as a term anyway. It's become the black hole Mm -hmm. of everything. I mean, everything is a justice issue now because there's no context to it. Nobody defines it. There's no objective definition out there that you can point to where you can say social justice is this 
and not that, but it's the black hole now where it just captures everything. And it's really hard to then oppose something that is labeled with justice because who wants to be against justice? Exactly right. Right. So it makes it it makes it who wants to side with you know oppressors? Exactly. Who wants to side with the oppressors? And that's part of the problem with you know you mentioned getting all of our language and categories from the world of sociology and some of the softer sciences. Part of the problem there is that. Some of these categories come out of a worldview that really sees reality in terms of oppressed and oppressor. And and that's why oftentimes otherwise evangelical social justice warriors are now starting to go soft on issues like homosexuality. Right. Because, again, they're having a hard time now not seeing things in any other category. You've got oppressed and oppressor. And, well, this group over here are the oppressors, so I must champion their cause because they're the oppressed. Victimhood becomes the supreme virtue. Right, right. Exactly right. And see, I recall from, again, your podcast back in June, that was a a point of discussion, you know, who's oppressed? How do you define oppressed these days? And to your point just now, Todd, you know, if social justice ever was about uplifting the poor and the oppressed, it's not about that anymore. Yeah, yeah. It is now an all-encompassing platform for airing the grievances of any number of special interests, most of which are rooted in matters not of injustice, but of personal preference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming propaganda. Right. It's becoming propagandized. It's an agenda now. And here's where the church is treading on dangerous ground is when your mission becomes a movement, you're in dangerous waters. Mm. You're in dangerous That's waters. That's right. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. The gospel should never be classified as a movement. It is always a mm. mission. It is always a right, mission. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about, you know, in trying to listen to the discussion, um, one thing I'm hearing is a lot of people from different ethnicities feeling like, okay, well, what if I go to a church that preaches the gospel? However, I still don't feel adequately represented or, or there's this tribalism that I am experiencing within my own church and, and feeling like an outsider. And yeah. Yeah, let me speak to that, Amy, and I'm going to keep it real with you. This is a keep it real moment right here. Keep it real, okay. Okay. So I know, you know, me being on the sort of the front lines of this issue, white evangelicals get a raw deal when it comes to that matter of, you know, not seeing a, you know, an acceptable representation of ethnicities when when a person walks through the doors of a certain church. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you something. There are just as many black churches out there that are just as segregated that as there may be white churches. And I personally, I have to qualify this as this is my personal stance on this. I don't really care, you know, about the ethnic composition of a certain congregation. The gospel is not about how I feel. This is one thing that I try to, and I probably run into more consternation on this issue than anything else as it relates to the sovereignty of God, that it is God who's building his church. Mm-hmm. We have got it confused. You know, I posted on my Facebook page the other day, you should never confuse God using you with God needing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't need us to build his church. We've got it twisted. God is going to build his church. And to whatever extent his church doesn't look like what you think it should look like, it's not your church. Just remind yourself, it's not your church. Mm-hmm. 
that you're building. It's not the church of Daryl. It's not the kingdom of Daryl that's being built here. You know, I've spent half my life as, as a member of quote unquote black churches. I've spent half my life as members of quote unquote white church. The local church I go to now is 99.8% white. You can count the number of non-whites on one hand. Mm-hmm. I'm not there for that. I'm not there for acceptance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm there to hear the gospel preached. Yeah. That's what the church's mission is. Is to preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit handle everything else, yeah. and and it's it's extraordinary because it's so simple. Because that is that not a unifying message? Is that not the thing that builds ties between people who otherwise might not have a whole lot in common? It's the gospel that actually is the thing that does that. And to the extent that the gospel begins to recede in the background of other missions and priorities, the counterintuitive thing is that those are the things that actually are not going to unite us. I mean, exactly right. You're exactly right. I mean, what did John the Baptist say? John the Baptist said, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. Mm -hmm. You see, so you can see the gospel as a unifying message when you get it through your head that it's not your gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. It's God's gospel. And since it's God's gospel, we need to trust that God's going to make his gospel effectual in his elect. Yeah. Yep. You should not expect gospel fruit from a non-gospel root. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. One thing that interests me, I've used this term, I think Todd used it a couple of times already on the program, uh, the conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've not participated in this. I'm a foreigner here. I steer clear of, of race as much as I can in terms of discussion because I, I don't have full knowledge of the kind of or the experience of the racial narrative in America to be able to comment with any degree of authority on the issue at all. But as an outside observer to the conversation, it doesn't actually seem to me to be much of a conversation. There seems to be an orthodoxy, and if you do not hold to the orthodoxy, Mm -hmm. the kind of usual rhetoric that one finds being deployed to marginalize, disenfranchise, comes quickly into play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Racist is an obvious one. Uncle Tom seems to be another word that's thrown around, all of which seem to me to foreclose any discussion. And Mm -hmm. really, the game is not about actually having a discussion. The game is about one group that that perhaps smells blood at this point, brutally imposing Mm -hmm. its rhetorical will on all those Mm -hmm. who would dare to dissent. Uh, I'm guessing, Daryl, that you've been on the receiving end of a fair bit of this rhetoric Mm -hmm. yourself. Do you have any comments or thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Carl. Um, I mean, man, I, as we speak now, I'm probably getting hate emails from <laughs> some of my blogs that I've written. But uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, I've been called every name in the book. Don't assume that when I say this, that the name calling, the disparaging, the degrading is only being communicated by non-Christians. No, mm-hmm. I've been on the on the receiving end of folks who profess to be Christian. I mean, I've been called Uncle Tom coon house nigger white Mm. boy i mean i mean you name it but yeah uncle tom is usually the one that's thrown out first for some reason maybe it just rolls off people's tongue a lot easier but uh you know whenever i'm called that name i immediately respond with you know i ask the person listen very respectfully because you know i got thick skin i'll ask them do you know where that term comes from do you know the genesis, anything about the genesis or the origins of that term? And most of the time they'll say no. And I'll ask them, well, it comes from a book, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Have you read the book? No, I've, I've not read it. You know, so I usually just kind of end it 
there with an invitation for them to go and read the book, because for those who haven't read it, who may be guilty of that or who, who may be listening to this now and think to themselves, man, he's such an Uncle Tom. Mm. Well, the gospel is the common thread throughout that story. Yeah. Uncle Tom is a Christ-like figure who lays down his life for others. He submits to being beaten to death. And while he's being beaten by his slave master, he's preaching the gospel to his slave master as his slave master beats him to death. So Tom is a sort of salvific figure, which in his death and his sacrificial death allows two little girls to run away free. So for anyone who's called me Uncle Tom, who considers me an Uncle Tom by listening to this, thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment because it is a compliment. Now, and I would invite them to go and read the book for themselves. Yeah. And that's just a great example of how oftentimes these pejoratives are put into play by people who actually have no idea what they were ever in originally intended to mean. And uh, that fascinating. And they're fundamentally dehumanizing. It's very well. much I, mean, so. I think mm-hmm. it's the right. Christians should ever deploy that language yeah. against any other human being, mm-hmm. let alone a brother or sister in Christ, right. whatever mm-hmm. the disagreements. And yeah. there, are, there are important disagreements out there and, sure. and right. opinions that are passionately held by Christians, but that a Christian should refer to another human being made in the image of God yeah. using such fundamentally dehumanizing I, I'm inclined to say, given that human beings are made in the image of God, that's blasphemy. Yeah. You're actually blaspheming yeah. at that mm. point. You're actually saying something about God himself as we're yeah. made in his image. So I want to say to anybody out there, if you want to engage vigorously with people who disagree with you, please do so. That's the foundation sure. of a civilized mm-hmm. society in many ways. But dehumanizing rhetoric is unacceptable yeah. from any Christian towards any other human being at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Daryl, we were talking earlier. I brought up an experience that Carl and I had Yale Divinity School a few years ago, and and we had a lovely time. We were there by invitation from Bruce Gordon, who was just a wonderful host, and he just wanted to have a a roundtable discussion on American evangelicalism and and church growth and that kind of thing. And and uh, there was a, a real wide variety of theological perspectives at the table. Carl and I were among just a handful of conservatives, but what was interesting is the guys who who most closely identified with Carl and I and Carl and I with them were two African-American brothers in Christ, one of whom had interned at a well-known conservative Baptist church. And these guys were both graduating from Yale Divinity School. They were both theologically conservative. And at one point, one of the men, it was his time to kind of give a presentation. And he gave this very clear presentation of the gospel. It was beautiful. And a few of the white liberals at the table, you could tell, were very frustrated with him because they kept pushing him to want to make social justice a part of how he defined the gospel. And he refused. And there was one married couple who serve as co-pastors of a, of a very liberal Presbyterian church there in New Haven. And you could tell they were visibly annoyed with this man because he kept the gospel the gospel. And I have found some of the most unhelpful people in this current quote-unquote discussion to be well-meaning but misguided white people who mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. who suddenly become very, oh, uh, kind of paternalistic and patronizing mm-hmm, towards mm-hmm. a black person who doesn't agree with mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's like they think they need to come and save us for some reason. Right. You know, they, they were very disappointed in that he wasn't black enough. It was clearly, yeah. you know, the, the vibe I was getting in that. And Carl and I were sitting on the other side of the table watching this happen. And it was it was a fascinating kind of learning experience to see the kind of pressure placed upon anyone who departs from the orthodoxy, as Carl mentioned earlier, and right. a black person is not only just not as unsafe as a white person would be, but in some cases, I think even the target of greater anger than the white person that departs from the orthodoxy. The traitor is always, Tra- right, yeah, is always a traitor. more dangerous right. and therefore more despised than the, the open enemy. Right. It's almost like it's a new slavery. So, right. Yeah. So we've come out of physical slavery, right. Mm-hmm. But gone into ideological slavery. Yeah. Yeah. So to where you still got, white ideological slave masters now. Right. So here you have, so it's not enough to have two black people graduate from Yale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. If that's not, you know, uh, worn enough for recognition. Yes. No, but, but see, you can't think for yourself. So you right. still have to, it's like white liberals want to take credit for even the success right. of those two individuals right. who worked hard independently yeah. to graduate from Yale divinity school. Now right. I don't, agree with the theological platform of Yale Divinity School completely. But if these brothers graduated from Yale Divinity School, let them have their independence ideologically and think theologically for themselves without thinking you have to come to the rescue Mm -hmm. of their train of thought. Uh, And and that's really that's really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. It kind of connects to sort of post-Marx, Marxist theory Mm. as well, the idea of false consciousness that when somebody in a group that you think should agree with you right. disagrees with you, yeah. then you think that they're right. suffering from false consciousness. They've yeah. been kind of conned yeah. into supporting a regime that is not in their best interests. Hence, the white working class vote Republican mm-hmm. because they've been conned yeah. into doing that. Right. Hence, guys like yeah. Daryl are not on board with the, the right. more radical uh, approach to these issues because, hey, you've been conned by the, yeah. the white establishment and you've become merely right. an ideological yeah. tool yeah. of the white man. Yeah, as you're talking about ideological slavery, it just reminds me of the interview we've recently had with Alan Jacobs um, and his book, How to Think. And, and it reminds me of something he wrote in there. He said, the person who wants to think will have to practice patience and master fear. Mm. And I think you know, mm-hmm. how important that is for both sides of the conversation, as we're calling it, to patiently engage and think through these things without just reacting with emotionally charged yeah. language out of fear. Yeah, Amy, that's a great point. And for me personally, I think I have uh, I don't have an issue with patience. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying in my reality and <laughs> engaging with folks who are you know, opposite of me ideologically or even theologically on this issue, mm-hmm. I'm the most patient person around because I'm confident in my identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. You see, I don't place mm-hmm. any value in my ethnic identity. I mean, yeah. what does Paul say? Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? So even your ethnicity is nothing that you can take credit for independently of God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, none of us chose our ethnicity. Not one of us. So who am I to place any value in the 
level of melanin that I have versus the level of melanin right. you, Amy, or or Todd, or mm-hmm. or Carl have. You know, that's that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but Carl, I did want to go back real quick to something you alluded to a second ago with respect to the image of God, and uh, I think that is the cornerstone principle in all of this. You know, I've, I've come to admire John Calvin quite a bit. And Calvin and his institutes actually addresses social justice. And he says that uh, when it comes to the matter of justice, that we are not to consider that men merit of themselves justice, but we're to look upon the image of God in all men to which we owe all honor and love. And that's what I liked about what you just mentioned there, Carl, because what Calvin does, Calvin places the impetus of justice where it needs to be which is our impetus for pursuing justice in society is because we are created in the image of God. And I think the mistake a lot of us are making, especially when the church now, this is becoming a sort of a fad within churches now, is that the impetus for churches coming on board, the sort of social justice bandwagon is that we are comparing ourselves and valuing ourselves to one another, sort of this horizontal paradigm, as opposed to what Carl was just alluding to, the paradigm which should be vertical with respect to the image of God. That that is why, again, I have to reiterate the church recapturing those terms. We're talking about godly justice here. We're not talking about Mm -hmm. societal justice. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a very stimulating podcast. I'm pretty sure there will be absolutely no reaction of any kind whatsoever uh, to this particular one. Daryl took us to school. Yeah. Direct all of your hate mail to Daryl Harris. Yeah, so, actually, yeah, so just thinking that me. You can email me and I'll give you all Todd's cell phone number. That's probably the easiest way to deal with it. But I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Daryl, and uh, we wish you all the best, and we pray that your skin will remain as thick <laughs> as it has been over recent months. And also to thank you for being almost at times, it seems, a lone voice calling for some kind of calm and sanity mm-hmm. in the current discussions. Please do visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Do remember that we're a viewer-supported podcast. If uh, you are led to make a financial contribution, please do so. We would be very, very grateful for that and in the meantime we look forward to being with you next time Premium this week is a book by the writer Shelby Seagill, The Content of Our Character, published by HarperCollins. Uh, well worth reading, recommended by Daryl Harrison. Please go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, for a chance to win a copy. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. 
And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about, you know, not charismatic, but you also don't want to put God in a box. And cessationists, those who believe that the, the gifts have ended, are not anti-supernaturalists. Right. Which I find very incompatible with Reformed theology is this emphasis on on hearing like an inner voice. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's consistent with Scripture, they'll... How is it different from preaching? Me preaching and applying the word on a Sunday. Exactly. And once again, it's the Holy Spirit's work disconnected from the word of God. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. We'll pick up after the introduction. You, you gave stuff. an intro. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. We've done about, we're the dopiest. We're dope. Yeah. We're dope. Dopest. Not, not dopey. Dopest. Dopest. Okay. We're, we're, we're the we're dopiest. The, we're the dopest. We may be the dopiest as well. <laughs>